our school and we think, how in the world can they think that that's okay? And on and on and on. You just take uh, some of the latest headlines, the uh, abortion bill that passed in New York just recently. We look at that and we say, how can it be the reactions to that be so diverse and that some can look at that as a great tragedy and then others look at that as a victory? How in the world can that be? It all comes down to worldview, worldview, and that's the topic of this sermon series that we'll begin today. And as we walk through today and a little bit next week as well, we're going to set the stage for what exactly is a worldview, what is the overarching worldview of the world in general, and then of course, what is the biblical worldview, or we could say without any arrogance whatsoever, what is God's worldview, because we know that the Bible is the very word of God, and that's how he communicates unto us. And so what is God's view of the world? So we're going to start by looking at what is a worldview. And as we do, let's take a look at this video. So there's a lot of talk about a Christian worldview. We've got to start with what is a worldview? A worldview is something that everybody has. It's kind of like our belief glasses. It's not our beliefs that we tend to look at. It's the beliefs that we tend to look through. So everyone has a set of assumptions about reality, about where they came from and what's important in life and what's worth caring about and loving and what's worth fighting for and dying for and that sort of thing. And these become beliefs that kind of control our other beliefs. We, we, we see reality through the lens of these beliefs. And that's really what a worldview is. It's our basic set of fundamental beliefs that we have, whether we realize it or not, that shapes our view both of the world and for the world. When we talk about a Christian worldview, the key is that we have to realize that Christianity is not just something we add to our beliefs, it has to become those beliefs through which we understand all of reality. For example, the world is a different place if God created it versus if it's the result of kind of a chaotic, random, natural process. Now, the universe is a different place if humans are made in the image of God and have inherent value or if they're just animals with a conscience or if they're, as so many Eastern religions teach, if we're just kind of, uh, you know, gods in and of ourselves. The world's a different place if there are moral absolutes as opposed to if morality is just up to every individual or every society. So these basic beliefs... It kind of shaped the way we see the world. Now, a Christian worldview then should be kind of defined by Christian truth. Now, here's the thing about why worldviews are so important. A worldview like a pair of prescription glasses will either let you see the world correctly or it will keep you from seeing the world correctly. If you have the wrong prescription, then what you think is reality is really fuzzy around the edges or you know, off-depth perception or something like that. But the right prescription actually allows you to see reality as it really is. And that's why worldview is so important. As we start to walk through this uh, sermon series on worldview, and I think he frames it very well. He says it's as if it's like a pair of glasses. We all have a worldview, and it's a matter of whether or not our worldview is based upon the world out there, the world other than what God created and other than what God designed, or whether it's a Christian, biblical worldview, a worldview of God. It's everywhere. Worldviews everywhere. It's in movies. We see it in television. We see it in social media posts. We see it in news reporting, conversations, and more. We see worldview because it is, is, is like the glasses in which we see the world. Jeff Baldwin, another uh, a great thinker from the Worldview Academy, says it very similarly. He says, worldview, again, is a pair of glasses through which we see the world. And I love how this gentleman really explained it to even greater depth. If our prescription is right, 
And as we know, if we have the biblical prescription, God's prescription, if we are familiar with God and his word and truth, then we see the world correctly. We see issues that come to the forefront. We see um, items that happen in our world, and we're either interpreting them correctly, we're seeing them with a correct prescription, or we're not. And so here's a, I want you to write this down. There's a longer definition of worldview. Worldview is any ideology, philosophy, theology, movement, or religion that provides an overarching approach to understanding God, the world, and man's relation to God in the world. Let's do it again. Worldview is any ideology, philosophy, theology, movement, or religion that provides an overarching approach to understanding God, the world, and man's relation to God in the world. That's what a worldview is. You see, and we all have them. You say, well, I don't have something. I don't have a worldview. The thing is, we don't have to adopt. We don't have to sign off on some sort of a worldview. We don't have to to, to fill out some sort of paperwork and sign off on it. It happens whether we want it to or not. The matter is, are we going to have God's worldview, a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview, or are we going to have a worldview that is that comes about and is the product of what we see in movies, television, social media posts, news reporting, conversations, and more? So as we walk through this sermon series, we're going to answer several questions that are very important uh, to evaluate worldview. Also, this is from that great ministry, Summit Ministry, and which provides uh, this worldview definition. Here are the seven questions that we're going to hit upon uh, in full or in part each week as we walk through what worldview is and as we look at particular issues, particular social issues related to worldview. First of all, is there a God and what is he like? Is there a God and what is he like? What is the nature and origin of the universe? What's the nature and origin of the universe? What is the nature and origin of man? You see, our, uh, the gentleman in the video addressed both of those questions. Do we believe that the world is just here by random chance? And do we believe that mankind is just a product of random chance? Or is it designed? We'll come out with drastically different worldviews, depending upon what we think about that very fundamental question. What happens to man after death? Where does knowledge come from? Where does knowledge come from? What is the basics of ethics and morality? And then finally, what is the meaning of human history? We'll be touching on those again in full or in part in each one of these sessions. So as we look at that, let's turn to Romans chapter 1 as we look at our focal passage today. Romans chapter 1 as we see uh, this very fundamental passage in Scripture of the bankruptcy, the bankruptcy of the worldview of the world. And remember when we talk about the world, when the Bible talks about the world, it's talking about the systems of the world, the ungodly systems of the world that have come about through the work of the enemy and the work of sin in the world. You see, the Bible tells us, and we're going to get into this in just a few moments, that God created the world. So we'll kind of give you the answers to the test already. That God created the world, and no, it's not a product of random chance, but God created the world, and he created it good. He created it good. Everything that we see uh, was at one time created good, but sin entered the world, and with sin came brokenness. And so we see the brokenness in the natural world in which we live. We see brokenness in society, and we see brokenness in individual lives. And so because of that, we frame very much here the brokenness of the world in Romans chapter 1. 
And so let's read it starting in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed uh, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now, the first thing that we have to see, we'll touch on it again as we break down each of these verses. But when we think about wrath in our world, we naturally tense up because what we think of is human wrath. We think of this sort of capricious, selfish, fly-off-the-handle sort of wrath, and we think, oh, gosh, we just recoil against that because we can't imagine that being of God. And you're exactly right. A sort of capricious, fly-off-the-handle, impatient, flippant sort of wrath is not at all what's spoken of here, but it is the right reaction, the right and just measured reaction of sin by a holy God. And so for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Suppress, very active word there. Suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them. So he's saying it can be known. God isn't some sort of ethereal being of which we just get a little hints, but we can know of God and we can know God for what God is, for what it is he has shown to them. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and the Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools." And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. See, folks, listen to this and write it down. It's going to be on the screen. The world suppresses the truth and exchanges it for a lie through disregard and pride. The consequences are moral bankruptcy, forfeiture of truth, and fraudulent worship. God, as we come now to your word today, as we look at the setting of the stage of this all very important, all too important topic of worldview, what are the glasses through which we see the world? Is our prescription, Lord, help us to ask ourselves the humble question, Lord, even as believers in Jesus Christ, oftentimes we can be taken by the worldview of the world. Lord, help us to come with humility and the Holy Spirit to examine our lives and say, what's the prescription of the glasses through which I'm seeing the world? Am I looking at the real thing, the authentic article? Am I looking at Scripture? Am I looking at your word, how you communicated to us? And am I channeling all that I see, every story, every social media post, every bit of music, every message that is being portrayed unto us? Am I looking at it through the lens and the prescription of your word? Or am I looking at it through the lens and the prescription of the world? God, help us to be honest. Help us to to look and see things um, in an honest way. Help us to filter it not through any sort of bent of politics or not any sort of bent of of belief based upon some group that we follow, but may we look at all all things through the lens of your scripture. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the very first thing that we're going to see in verses 18 through 20 is this. Biblical foolishness is willful suppression. Biblical foolishness 
is willful suppression. Let me read again verses 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And remember, that wrath of God is that measured response, that measured, just, patient response to sin from a holy God. It could be no different. It could be no different, no more different than what we think of of human wrath, of just flying off the handle, impatient, impulsive, known as a measured, broken-hearted God that says, I must, as a perfect holy God, I must react properly to sin. Against all unrighteousness of men who suppress, suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power, his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You want us to look at that word suppress there. It's a very powerful word, really interesting and powerful word, and it definitely speaks to sort of an active suppression. It doesn't mean that it's accidental. You know, when we are rejecting truth, it is not just we kind of stumble out of truth, but it is a willful suppression by mankind when we look at the world as a whole. Again, what this passage speaks to is, is, is the lost world, those who have not been saved, those who have not become Christians, those who have not been, uh, become followers of Jesus Christ. But as we see in places like Galatians chapter 5 and really all throughout the writings of Scripture, we see that even a person who comes to faith in Christ, they can at times still walk in their old nature. Now, a person cannot walk habitually in the old nature. A person cannot walk through life without producing fruit. Because the Bible itself, Scripture says that that is evidence of the fact that the life has not changed. However, there are times where we can still walk temporarily in the old nature. But this speaks specifically of the lost world. But even for us as believers, we have to be careful because we see we see this sort of pattern of where the worldview comes, comes from. And are we following that same pattern? Again, suppress is an active word. It is not accidental. What happens is that we walk in sin, which leads to spiritual blindness, which leads to excuses for our behavior, which leads to burying the truth in our life. And so it's not something that just happens accidentally, but it is a suppression, an active suppression of the truth. For in verse 19, it says this, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. First of all, this in them can be uh, speak of just sort of collectively that we see that God has made himself manifest to us collectively as humanity. We're going to get that in greater detail. But also when we look at human beings themselves, we see the complexity within humanity itself when we look at the complexity of our own body. You see, the fundamental truth, the fundamental foundational truth, and again, our, 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 our subject of the video brought this to the forefront very well. The most fundamental point of truth is that the world is not here by accident. You see, that is the first major fork in the road. If we believe that the world is just here because of a, a, a matter of time plus matter plus chance and just sort of the randomness of it, well, really, if we play that out to its nth degree, really anything goes. Anything goes. But if we look at the world around us and we say, as God claims in his word for himself, that no, the world is not here by random chance, but it was created 
then everything else stems from that, that yes, there is a creator, and yes, there is truth. For it says in verse 20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. You see, if we look honestly at the world around us and we look at at the complexity of our world around us, we even see his invisible attributes, his omniscience. It's a big word for meaning, meaning that he knows all things. He knows all things. Omnipresence, again, a big word that simply means he is present everywhere. He is present everywhere. Another big word, omnipotence, which means he is very simply all-powerful. And when we look honestly at the world, and we look at it and we say, there is no way that this can be here simply by random chance, then we again, we begin to walk and take that first step down the road of truth. You see, that is three-inch headlines. God gives us the complexity of the world, the complexity of the world in which we live. And if we just look at the complexity of the human body, the, the, the trillions, the trillions of, of, of building blocks, of molecules that must work together perfectly with even in, in, in the human body to carry out all the complexity of the function of the human body. When we look at that with honesty, it is three-inch headlines written in our world of the complexity of our world and the fact that it speaks to the creative hand of our God. You see, in verse 20, as it continues, he says, and even his eternal power and Godhead, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You see, we say to ourselves, well, how can God hold someone responsible to stand before him one day and be responsible for their sin when they've never heard of God, never heard of God? You know, someone that doesn't have the opportunity that we in this room uh, gathered together today have, have the opportunity to hear of God and hear of the gospel plainly and clearly. How can God hold someone responsible? And he says, because he has written it. Again, he has written it in the world, 33-inch headlines, to say that there is something here. When we look honestly, for those who are honestly seeking, and you see this in given examples throughout the history of Christianity, when there are people, even in the far corners and reaches of the world, that come to that place, obviously led by God, when they come to that place and they're saying, there must be something different. There must be something, some sort of higher power in this world. I look at this world and I say, there just can't, this just can't be here by random chance. You hear this time and time again from testimony of those in the four corners of the world that there was some extra piece of truth revealed to them. There's some extra piece of truth revealed to them. Then they follow that piece of truth, and there's another extra piece of truth to them, maybe a dream, maybe someone coming to them and sharing the gospel with them. You see this over and over and over again. You know, one of my favorite stories of a missionary um, given... Uh, is of a missionary that was in a Middle Eastern country. And he is led by God to go to this particular town. God is just telling him, you need to go to this town and go to this house, this particular house, and you need to, you need to show up and inquire of this house, and that's all the Lord would give him. I'm kind of paraphrasing, but that's all the Lord would give him. He goes to this, goes to this, uh, this village, goes to this home. The man answers the door. This is a man of a Muslim background. And he says, God has been speaking to me and saying, on this particular day, there is going to be someone coming to your house. You need to listen to this one. This one has the truth. Unless we think that's fanciful, unless we think that's fantasy, unless we think that is legend, 
you hear that sort of thing told the world over throughout human history, throughout Christian history, of those that are seeking the Lord and God leads them and continues to lead them to the truth. A seeking heart will always walk step by step to a full understanding of God. So number one, biblical foolishness is willful suppression. Number two, sinful pride leads to sinful foolishness. Starting in verse 21, it says this, because although they knew God, although mankind knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping Things. So in, we see in this section in verses 21 and 23, we see two actions that have several consequences. First of all, it says they did not know God, or even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Why ultimately does mankind not want to glorify God? Why ultimately is it, is it just within the human nature to not want to glorify God and surrender to him and give our lives to him and follow him? You see, there's something within the broken human nature and broken human pride, which is just that. It is this pride that wants to say, I don't want ultimately anyone to have control over me. Like, yes, temporarily, I know I have a boss or temporarily, you know, I have parents, you know, when we're living in the house under the under the authority of our parents or, you know, I ultimately have the government here or there. But ultimately, ultimately, I know that I'm in charge of my own life. And we don't break it down like that. Often people don't. We, we rarely as human beings think that deeply about things, but that is ultimately what it is. If we can deny the existence of God, then ultimately anything goes. And ultimately I'm the captain of my own ship. So first of all, they did not glorify him as God, speaking of humanity as a whole, nor were they thankful. This is really interesting. This is really interesting here that it almost seems out of place, but we know ultimately it is not out of place at all. It is in the perfect place because here's the thing. Human pride fills the void left by thankfulness. When thankfulness goes out the door, when we fail to say to, a, to, to, our, to our omniscient, omnipresent, all-powerful God, when we, when we fail to say to him, God, you are in control of all things. My life is yours. And God, everything that I have is a gift from you, and I am thankful for it. When pride, when thankfulness goes out the window, pride fills the void. So we see that they did not glorify God, nor were they thankful. And then we see four consequences of it in the remainder of these verses. First of all, they became futile in their thoughts. Pride leads to futility. This just sort of round and round again. Have you ever listened to just maybe it be a talk show or maybe it be supposed experts arguing out a point on, on television and they're just going round and round and you think they are arguing themselves into futility. Pride leads to futility. You see, and it just, it just bears one more foolish idea after another. You see, there is no portion of our society that is free from the ideal of trying to climb a ladder, of to be the next person that comes up with the next great idea or the next great philosophy. You see, in one of the most intelligent uh, cultures of human history, 
and with the, in, in the culture that may have valued education and intelligence more than any other. In ancient Greece, they would sit together in the town square waiting for the next person to come up with the, the next great new idea, the next great philosophy. And there'd be some that'd run after it. There'd be some that would reject it. There'd be some that would run after this and reject it. And that's exactly what we see in Acts chapter 16 and 17, that Paul goes into that, into that uh, dynamic and he says to them, guess what? This is the truth. You have that statue in the city square that says this is the statue to the unknown God. You have a shrine to the unknown God because they had a shrine to this God and this God and this God and this God. And they had one there too, just in case they missed one. But more importantly, they, even, even in that ancient culture, there were writings of the great philosophers of the day that would say there's something more than this God and this God and this God and this God. And they didn't know what, exactly what it was. And there was a statue to the unknown God. And Paul says, guess what? I come in the name of that one. You've been groping around and trying to find it, and you haven't found it. This is the truth, the Lord Jesus Christ. But became futile in their thoughts, and it says, and their foolish hearts were darkened. As one's foolish heart is darkened, and we give in more and more to the broken philosophies of the world and worldviews of the world at large, we begin to dig that hole deeper and deeper and deeper, and our hearts become darkened. Professing to be wise, verse 22, they became fools. Now, another very interesting thought and very interesting dynamic in Scripture is the idea of fools. It's completely different than how we often use the word fools in our society. We often use fool to speak to ignorance, to speak to ignorance in our society. But fool in the Bible is willing disobedience willing disobedience. It means not that you're completely ignorant to what's right. It means that one knows what is right, but yet they choose to do otherwise. Willing disobedience, not ignorance. In verse 23, and it changed, it says, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made, of corrupt, made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. It speaks, yes, of human history, of, of the, the, the great human history of making idols, idols of mankind, idols made in the image of man, idols made in the image of rest of creation, even animals. And we think in our sensible society, 21st century, gosh, that's silliness. That's silliness. No, we might not go carve an idol, although you do see even in the 21st century carved idols replete in our world. We not, might not go carve an idol, but as we've spoken of many times, we absolutely craft the idols of the heart, the Ezekiel 14 idols of the heart. We put things in preeminence, in the place of preeminence in our life that are not God. And of course, everything else, everything else is askew because of it. And great John Calvin said this, the human heart is a factory of idols. The human heart is a factory of idols. Do you see just the poignancy in that? Because God created us to worship. That's, we can't escape it. We've been created as human beings. That's part of our nature. We've been created to worship, and we will worship something. Our worship either will be properly placed in that we are worshiping the almighty creator of the universe who is good and just and wonderful, or we will let the factory of our heart run wild and start making all sorts of idols. So first thing again, biblical foolishness is willful suppression. Sinful pride leads to sinful foolishness. And third, we see the very simply the moral consequences. It says in verses 24, in verse 24 itself, 
Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. You see, eventually God allows us to pursue our own destruction. Even Jesus Christ, as he's sending out um, his disciples into the world or into the, to, to the society, into their community to go and share the good news of the gospel, he tells them, you go and you share, but if they reject the message, if they turn you away, he says, shake the dust off your feet. Shake the dust off your feet. Eventually, God allows us to pursue, if we continually pursue, if we continually pursue sinful lifestyle, God allows us to pursue that destruction. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. You're speaking again of ancient Greece, the Grecian worldview was that the body, the body was just a shell. The body was a shell that was holding back the spirit, holding back the soul. It is damaged and it is, and it is, is a shell to be shucked and a shell to be thrown aside so that we may, we may be able to pursue all that we are created to be. But we have to know that God created the body as well. That's why we see in one of the most divisive thoughts and one of the most divisive truths of the day in Paul's society was the fact that the body would be resurrected. And he's essentially saying that God makes no accidents. The body, along with the soul, is not an accident at all. God will restore that body. And because of that, we know in their society, because the body was a shell, they essentially would say, go and do with it whatever you will. Go have any sort of expression of perversion you want. It's no big deal. It is a shell that will be set aside. But God says no. God says no. We must honor God not only with our spirit but with our body. You see, here's the thing. Our idolatry always expresses itself outwardly. It always does. It always does. So we see the moral consequences and then, of course, the worldview consequences, the worldview consequences in verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the, cre- the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. This exchange is, is a word that speaks to trade. It was a word that was used in the trade culture of the day. It means that one is trading for something else. And we have to think about, he says that we exchange the truth of God for a lie. What a bargain, right? What a bargain. Obviously, great sarcasm in that. That no, it's not a great bargain. We have exchanged the truth for a lie. Mankind, the world has exchanged something that's foundational. You can build your life on it for a lie. And as they did, again, the symptoms of that were and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. They worshiped and served. They wanted and they desired the creature more than the creator. In my mind, as I was studying this, went to the story again of Israel, that they were living under what we would call a theocracy, and that their only rule was God. God, the perfect ruler, the perfect ruler, the one who always walked in truth, the one who was all-powerful, the one who always did what was right, the one who always knew what was right, the one who always did good for them, even if times if it was difficult for them, he always did what was right because he was the almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God. And what did they do? They looked at all the other nations around them, and he said, we want a king just like these other nations. Can you think of just the silliness in that? Your king is God. Your king is God. 
But yet they looked at all the other nations around. They said, we want a king like the other nations as well. They exchanged. They exchanged their God. They exchanged their God, their creator, for the creature and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. Folks, when we are thinking about building a worldview, because yes, you will, you have one, you do. That is just a truth, and you can take it to the bank. We all have a worldview. So are we going to build our worldview based upon the sinfulness of the world? Are we going to be based upon all the broken thoughts and philosophies of the world, or are we going to base it upon the truth of God? Listen to this. Deuteronomy 32.4. Deuteronomy 32.4. Listen to this. He is the rock. He is the rock. His work is perfect. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. Justice. We think about the lack of justice, perceived justice in our world. All his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Folks, are we going to build our worldview on social media and TV shows and talk shows and the latest book from this expert or that expert? Or are we going to build our worldview upon the rock? Once again, the world suppresses the truth and exchanges it for a lie through disregard and pride. The consequences of that are moral bankruptcy, forfeiture of truth, and fraudulent worship. Folks, as we leave and as we go and as we live our lives in the world, God not separating us from the world but strengthening us as we live in it, let us be ready to defend the truth and always to be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within us. Let's pray. Lord God, as we continue this sermon series over the next several weeks and as we dive into specific issues of culture Help us to keep in mind that uh, we must always critically look at our own thoughts, our own beliefs, and, and the things that we, uh, we, we, we give ourselves to. And Lord, is it of you? Is it biblical? Does it pass the muster of truth? Or Lord, like the world, are we just following after the latest trend? Are we following after the latest philosophy? Are we following after what the latest celebrity tells us? Are we following truth? God, as we continue to walk through this study of worldview, help us to look at the brokenness in the world and the brokenness of thoughts and beliefs in the world and those that believe them, not with any sort of arrogance. But God, may we look at the the world and those that believe these things, may we look at them with the same sort of empathy and brokenness that you see them. May we look at those around us and those that are following uh, after untruth and following and, and walking down paths of destruction. God, may we look at them through tears in our eyes. And God, may we not look at, at the truth of your word as some sort of uh, hammer in which we are to, to pound a nail. But Lord, may we look at the truth of your word and may we speak that truth in love so that Lord we plant the seed and God you do the work in Christ's name we pray